what I would like to talk about mostly this evening is about finding a place of calmness, about finding a place of calm abiding within ourselves. Aitken Roshi, who is a very wise Zen master in America, was some time ago teaching a retreat and Apparently, he came into the hall on the second evening of the retreat to give the Dharma talk in the evening. And he began the talk by saying, the difficulties you are experiencing now. And then he stopped. And there was this long pause. And apparently... In paper, I was told that you could feel suddenly everybody's attention really perked up, appreciating the kind of space that people are often in. We are often in on either the first or second evening of a retreat. We know those spaces. Sometimes there are days when we spent a lot of time struggling with the hindrances. Sometimes in that first or second day of a retreat, we've completely forgotten why we wanted to do a retreat anyway. Sometimes on that first or second day of a retreat, it feels like it's going to last for eternity. We can't believe how much longer we're going to endure this. It's often times when our bodies or our minds are shouting at us. So this pause seemed really important, apparently. You know, maybe he was going to offer some sort of magic solution or some secret teaching that would be a shortcut through all of the first day's hardships. Maybe he was going to offer good news about how to make all the obstacles disappear or maybe just invite everyone to go to the beach the next day. (laughs) And he began again and he said, the difficulties you are experiencing now are going to be with you for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a wonderful wonderful statement. I mean, clearly, I don't think it was his intention to make people suicidal or, you know, pack their bags and leave the retreat or become very depressed or anything like that. But it is actually a very interesting perspective to hold, isn't it? I mean, if we just held that for a moment, whatever you experience today, is going to be with you for the rest of your life. Well, it opens up a whole different way of seeing, I think, for us. It disturbs us, maybe. It challenges us. But I think certainly to hear something like that would be a statement that can help us to pause for a moment and to just consider, well, what if that was true? I wonder if that was true for us. What would be asked of us? 
what kind of shift or change would need to take place in our hearts, in our minds, that would allow us to hold that experience? What kind of shift would have to take place in our hearts or our minds that would allow us really to turn towards whatever has happened today and whatever is present in this moment, no matter how difficult or how painful or how challenging, what would be asked of us that would enable us to embrace it, to hold it gracefully, to find a place of calmness and balance and openness within ourselves. If that statement were true, what qualities of heart or mind would we need to discover within ourselves, find within ourselves that would really allow us to befriend and to learn from whatever is happening in this moment? that would allow us to be with, without rejection, without judgment, without fear, and without relying on those promises that we often hold in our mind that a better moment is on its way. You know, that is often one of our survival mechanisms. A better moment is around the corner. Our kind of acceptance, our compassion even, would we need to bring to ourselves to this moment so that we were no longer so that we no longer felt quite so swept away or quite so unbalanced by the contents of our experience. Now I feel that this is such an interesting perspective to hold because many, many times in our lives, not only in meditation, we do find ourselves in the midst of experiences and moments actually which are very difficult, very challenging. And the truth is that we don't always know when or if they will end. We don't know what they're going to turn into. We don't know if they're even going to alter. These moments are not unique to retreats. You know the times in our lives when we become ill? We don't know if it's going to end or how. There's times in our lives when we're faced with loss, with death, with difficult emotions, with many experiences that can come to us that are truly trying distressing at times. And the truth is, we don't know the outcome. And there are times when we have different choices available to us. And how would we approach them if we approach them as if they were going to be there forever? There's a story of a, a a, a yogi in China who lived very simply on the outside of a village, mostly spent his time meditating and cultivating a little garden. And the villagers had a very close relationship with this yogi. They kind of viewed him as their sort of patron saint. And 
when times were wonderful in the village and the cross crops would prosper and people were happy and lived in harmony and there was peace in the land, they would go to this yogi and they would say to him, you know, you are our umbrella of protection. You're taking care of us. All this prosperity and happiness is due to you. And he would answer them and say, that's amazing. And of course, things changed, and there came, it came a time when there was war in the land, and the crops failed, and the weather was terrible, and there was hunger, and there was misery. And the villagers went to him, and they said, you were our umbrella of protection. This is all your fault. You've failed us. You've betrayed us. You've let us down. You know, we never want to see you again. And he said to them, that's amazing. And of course, things changed again. Again there was peace. Again there was harmony. And they went back to him and humbled, full of apologies, saying, please forgive us. Of course we knew that this was just something we had to meet and it was a test. Please, you know, be our protector again. And he said, you know, that is truly amazing. Well, this is our life, isn't it? We live... <laughs> We live in a very agitated world, sometimes a restless world. Sometimes our world feels very, very chaotic. We live in a world that's constantly changing, and it's also a very unpredictable world. We don't have too many guarantees in this life. And I think sometimes when we look at the kind of agitated world that we live in, it seems almost like a reflection of the kind of chaos and the kind of agitation we can experience within our inner world. The kind of turbulence and turmoil that is sometimes very often there. How quickly our feelings change in a single hour, in a single day. How quickly we've seen our emotions go from love to hatred, from happiness to sadness, from hopefulness to depression, from interest to boredom. You've probably seen a few of those shifts today. You know, some of the thoughts that we have that seem so convincing and so real in a moment. I mean, you may have had a moment today, you know, when you had this whole package sewn up, you know. <laughs> Only loonies come to Gaia House, you know, and this is a refuge for depressives anonymous, and, you know, I'm going home. And the next moment, you have a good sitting. Oh, you know, everybody should meditate, you know. This is really what the whole world ought to be doing. <laughs> Our thoughts that are so convincing one moment, we forget them by lunchtime. You know, there's a whole different parade that is going on. It's equally interesting, equally convincing, equally interesting. Look what happens in our bodies. You know, we can seem so healthy and well and strong. You know, last autumn I was coming here, you know, boasting about how strong I was getting at the gym, you know, with all my workouts. Next week I was laid out with a neck injury. You know, there went my strength. Didn't that happen to us? You know, our bodies are not also all that reliable. We can go from health to sickness so quickly. In all of this change and all of this turbulence, I think it often feels like there's really nowhere to rest. Nowhere that is actually a sanctuary. 
or a refuge that we can rely upon anywhere. We discover again and again in our lives and in our meditation that we are not in control. This is not news to us. These messages come to us quite frequently. Look what happens here. You know we think you, you think maybe you get calm. Well, it's pretty easy to lose it. You think you find peace. It's pretty easy to lose that too. You think you're going to be stuck in agitation forever. And calmness comes as a surprise. We are sometimes a little slow to get this undeniable truth that we are not actually in control. And we keep trying to be. We keep trying to be. We keep trying to control the uncontrollable and we keep trying to grasp the ungraspable. And in doing this, we very often do create more fear and more turmoil and struggle for ourselves. And meditation is a very good teacher about not being in control, and it really teaches us about our lives. When you come and sit in here, do you know what kind of thoughts you're going to have? Sometimes you get good hints, but we don't always know. Sometimes they surprise us. When the next feeling arises, and you sit and you walk, how much choice do you have? You know, can you come into a sitting and say, well, you know, it's 2.30, it's a good time for a little bliss. <laughs> and I go, put that in the menu, you know. Or can you come in and say, if anger comes or arises, can you just say, well, no thanks, you know, none today. Can we choose it? Do we know what the next moment is going to bring, whether it's going to be delightful body sensations and ecstatic mental states, or whether it's going to be burning resentment and doubt? No. Even this state or this experience you're in right now, do you have any idea when it's going to end, if ever? The truth is no. There are real limits to our willpower and real limits to our capacity to control things. Sometimes we come on retreats, you know, and we have real issues going on in our lives and we say, this is the time I'm going to deal with it, I'm going to solve it. Does it come up? No. Even if it does come up, is there any guarantee that we're going to suddenly have this startling moment of revelation that solves it all? Also, no. It is an interesting space, this truth of uncertainty. It's an interesting <coughs> space to get in touch with that reality of not knowing. Because there are a number of different ways that we can respond to it. It is very much a challenging space to be with. And we see that here. I think this illusion of control or this illusion of being in charge is, you know, in some ways one of our most highly prized treasures. 
And many times we really don't want to surrender that illusion of being in control because it might really imply that we have to open to our world in a very different way. And it might also imply that the ideas we have about safety and identity and security are actually not so reliable. I think one of the movements that we get get in touch with on retreats is really how very, very much we like to be in a position where we can say, I know, or I am, or I have. I mean, in terms of knowing, think of how many thoughts you had today. And probably four or five of them were really useful thoughts. You know, I mean, they probably got you to lunch and, you know, you found your way to the meditation room and you found the right cushion. And a lot of the others, actually, were all about really trying to be in control, trying to know things, you know, so that we have, you know, a label and um, a description for everything about ourselves, about other people, about the moment that we're in. Trying to make the unknown known. Recently, I saw this amazing documentary where this guy who does this sort of documentary, he, he was invited to spend two weeks in the Arctic, in the high Arctic, very, very far removed from any kind of human settlement, in really this kind of pristine territory, and it was called, this guy, I forget his name, Encounters with the Unknown. Well, it didn't last that long. I mean, the first day he got there, and, this, and the, the camera crew took him there, and they left him there with his basic supplies, you know, everything he needed. And they left him with this camera to film his day. And then every two or three days, they were going to come and bring him food and make sure that he was all right. And the first day was like, you know, it was like he discovered enlightenment. You know, he was in this most amazing landscape, you know, this pristine, untouched landscape, you know, this pure snow, you know, and this beautiful kind of ranges and, you know, no mark of anything ever having been there, you know, and he he was speaking about how awed he was, you know, and how humbled he was by the vastness of this space, you know, and how it was kind of belonged to the universe sort of thing. Third day, you know, the camera crew came to bring him food, and he was complaining, you know. You're stepping on my snow. (laughs) You're making tracks on my snow. And then, uh, having learned from that experience that people would come and make tracks on his snow, then he started kind of putting up these tapes around this area so that people wouldn't tread on it, you know, so they would have to stay outside. And I thought it was actually a wonderful analogy for sometimes what happens on retreats, too. You know, that, you know, people come on retreats and never been to Dyer House before, you know, and they come often, there's also this feeling, you know, oh, it's so wonderful to have this space, you know, created by so many and belonging to no one. You know, and by the time the first day is even over, you know, it's like, what are you doing in my walking space, you know? Uh, how come you don't know that that's my favorite chair in the dining room? You know, we get this kind of contraction that happens so quickly around mine, 
you know, mine, my space, my territory, my many things. That kind of movement of mind towards staking out our place in this universe sometimes happens too with the descriptions, the endless vocabulary we have through the day to describe ourselves, to describe other people. What is happening often in that movement is that we are looking to grasping or looking to control or looking to having to provide us a refuge, to provide us a place of refuge within a world that often feels very unknown, that is very changing, very uncertain. And the way that we respond to that is to try to hold something, to say, this is mine, this is who I am, this is who you are. And we look to grasping to provide us with a kind of sanctuary. And yet, no matter how tightly we hold on to things, when we look more closely, we see that we are looking to grasping to provide us with something which it simply cannot. Underneath, I think, that movement of grasping, which I think is something we resort to because simply we don't know a better way. You know, we don't know a more effective way. We don't know a, a wiser way of coming to a place of balance. And I think often what underlies that movement of grasping is actually this longing within ourselves to find a genuine place of balance, to find a genuine place of calm abiding, a genuine sense of refuge. But sometimes when we are anxious or fearful, and when we feel disconnected in our lives or in the moment, we are feeling anxious or fearful. When we feel anxious or fearful, we tend to follow that very familiar avenue of grasping or holding or controlling in order to find the balance we really long for. Sometimes, I think it's really useful to explore what we are actually looking for. What this place of calm abiding might actually be, what it actually might genuinely be to discover a place of refuge within ourselves and within the moment. Now that place of calm abiding, that's not about finding a place where we're not disturbed or not challenged. That would be a very fragile refuge if we thought that a refuge was truly dependent on not being disturbed or challenged. A true refuge is not a place where we're protected from change. It's not a place where we are somehow immune from the changing nature of our life. I mean, you know, if we thought that was a refuge, we have some obvious problems within it. A genuine refuge also, I think, is not going to a place, be a place <coughs> that is going to be separate and apart from where we are right now. It's not going to be some other moment, some better moment, some destination in the future. 
I think that the refuge that we really long for and that we really seek for, that place of calm abiding, is not a place that lies in a future destination, but that lies in the way that we are actually present right now. It lies in the way that we are able to meet the challenging and the uncertain and the difficult. It lies in our capacity to open and to learn to find balance in the midst of all moments of life. Paul once said that our deepest fears are like dragons guarding our deepest treasures. I think sometimes that takes a little bit of a stretch of the imagination <laughs> to, to conceive of. But our deepest fears may be like dragons guarding our deepest treasures. Fear and anxiety are awakened through our encounters with the uncertain, with the unpredictable, with the changing. Now, in those moments of meeting, which actually is, are happening on a moment-to-moment level, it's good to remember, in those moments of meeting the unpredictable and the changing, we do have different options available to us. We can treat those moments like enemies, or we can treat them like allies or friends. We can follow the avenue of trying to run from or flee from those moments. Or we can also look at these moments of holding and letting go, of arising and passing, as real inspirations and invitations to look more deeply, to ask ourselves really, what is the place of balance here? What is the nature of calmness? Is there a way of being where we can truly embrace praise and blame, gain and loss, success and failure, birth and death, without being unbalanced, without losing or being divorced from a place of calmness within ourselves? I think these questions lie very much at the heart of the spiritual journey. I mean, what we do here in meditation, you know, it's really not that interested or not, certainly not totally concerned with having super-evolved states of concentration or dazzling experiences or ideal destinations. The real skill, you know, I think the most authentic and the deepest skill that we learn in meditation is about turning towards ourselves and turning towards this moment. This skill is also our greatest challenge. Now, think of our experience here. Now, we all have bodies. And these bodies go through times when they're complaining, times when they're distressed. Well, the news is that these experiences happen to us throughout our lives. We all have minds that we meet here. And sometimes we are faced with a mind that feels very riotous, rebellious, unsettled, sometimes very heavy. 
we are faced with feelings that are sometimes difficult. Feelings of aversion, feelings of sadness, feelings of failure. The whole range of feelings that we can meet in our lives. What we meet in retreat, actually, is the whole range of experiences that we do meet all through our lives that happen to all of us. And how do we respond to them? Now, sometimes our first line of defense is jumping into the next moment. You've probably noticed that. Jumping into the moment after this one with the thoughts that say, well, you know, how do I get away from this? Or when is this going to be over? Or what have I done to deserve this? Or how do I fix this? How do I get into a better moment? Often that movement of mind, of fleeing, is really a movement to reject to get away from what is actually happening because we see these experiences as being obstacles. Or we see them as being a bad sign that somehow reflects on us very badly. People have often this unfortunate tendency to take their meditation rather personally. You know, so that, you know, if they have a mind that's got lots of hindrances, you know, or too many thoughts, you know, they become very convinced that they're the only one who has this. And that it's a sign, you know, that there's a sort of spiritual disaster in our, you know, meditative failure somehow. Sometimes we, we think, well, how can I get away? You know, and if we can't just tune out, we have these other avenues of fleeing, you know, avenues like sleep or fantasy or eating or numbing out, or the various strategies we have to reassure ourselves. <coughs> I think we quickly discover, actually, that these strategies don't actually offer us any true refuge or true peace. Most often, they're a kind of postponement. I mean, do we really have those choices in our lives? I mean, at the moment of our death, are we just going to say, I don't like this, I think I'll turn on the TV, isn't it? <laughs> You know, there's a kind of reality checking, which is good to do here. I mean, you get away with it for a while, you know. And there are many situations we get away, you know, it seems that we, like we get away scot-free with avoidance, you know. And, you know, sometimes actually we get too heartened by that. We think, oh, I got away with it. You know, avoidance really worked that time, you know. And if I keep on doing it, maybe I'm going to get better and better at it, you know, so it works faster. Well, the news is that it may not always work. And it doesn't rescue us. You know, aversion and avoidance and numbness, they actually don't rescue us. They don't rescue us from disconnection. There's obviously, I think, there's a very deep change, a very deep transformation that is needed within ourselves. It's a kind of shift in attitude, you know, a major shift in attitude that is asked for in meditation. It's actually, it's, it's like a complete reversal of our more conditioned inclinations of mind that say, get out of, or flee, or avoid. That complete reversal of that inclination of saying, what happens when we stay with? What happens when we turn to? 
to really look to this very moment that we're in, no matter how challenging, to discover what is a place of true refuge for us. And this is possible for us to do. It really is possible. It's possible for everyone to do this. Not only special people. Everyone can do this. We can actually turn towards the difficult and find a whole other dimension of calmness and confidence and balance. Now, one thing I think we can be really sure of is that we are not going to find a place of refuge or a place of calm abiding within the contents of our minds, feelings, or body experiences. We're not going to find a place of refuge within the thoughts, within the changing feelings, or the changing sensations. When we try and do that, you know, when we get too preoccupied, too entangled with the contents, we don't find calmness. Instead, we find more agitation, more busyness, more restlessness, more doing, often based on likes and dislikes. That's not where we find calm abiding. What we're asked to do in meditation is actually to sink down, actually, to find the space within ourselves that holds all the changing contents. To find the quality of consciousness, of seeing, of awareness, in which all of these contents of mind and body are dancing. Now that's what we're doing when we develop attentiveness. You know, we're developing some real skills when we develop attentiveness. Because in a way, we're finding a place of balance. We're not denying what's going on. There are thoughts, there are feelings, there's sensations. We're acknowledging them, accepting them. But we're learning the skill of disentanglement, of letting them be. And what we do, instead of becoming so lost or so involved in all of those contents, what do we do? We keep returning to the breath. We keep returning to the moment. We keep returning to that place of attentiveness. And what happens when we do that is that we are learning to let go. And we are learning actually to really cultivate a place of refuge. A place of refuge in our seeing. And it's very important to get this, you know, that when we practice with our breathing, it's, it's certainly not interested. You know, nobody's going to ask you how many breaths you got in a row today. You know, that's it's not that interesting to anybody. You know, nobody's going to kind of give you concentration examinations or, you know, medals or anything like that. What is really important as we work with the breath is that we are working with the quality of consciousness. And that we're learning to take refuge in attentiveness, in seeing, in being with. Now, what are the qualities that lead to spaciousness, that lead to calmness? What are some of the qualities that we're actually cultivating as we practice attention? Now, one of the qualities that we are cultivating is a loving, compassionate acceptance that embraces every single moment we encounter without distinction, 
It doesn't matter if it's pleasant. It doesn't matter if it's unpleasant. We are learning to be with. This is also important for us to see. Because when there is aversion, there is separation. When there is aversion, we want to distance ourselves from what we are experiencing. We look for distance. Separation in itself opens the doorway to fear. It opens the door to anxiety, to rejection and to judgment all of the things that continue to keep us apart. What we are equally learning in returning to the present moment is that we are learning to withdraw blame. We're learning to withdraw blame. We're learning to little bit to withdraw or to let go of the mind that says, this is all right, this isn't, this is acceptable, this is not. I can be with this, I don't want that. Look, we're cultivating this quality of openness that says everything is welcome. Everything can be present. Everything can appear, can manifest itself. We're not making any conclusions not making any conclusions about anything that is actually occurring. Now, this loving acceptance, you know, this is nothing kind of particularly sentimental about this. This loving acceptance is not blind. It's not saying, oh, yeah, everything's just terrific, you know, the world, everything is wonderful. Loving acceptance is very clear. It is very conscious. It is very sensitive, but it doesn't banish anything. Sometimes loving acceptance is simple, the simple willingness to stay present. You know, that's what's happening. The simple willingness to stay present, to stay with. This is one of the deepest manifestations of loving acceptance. By staying present, we are learning the skillfulness of staying with things as they actually are and not giving fuel to anything. Take an example. You know, suppose that you're sitting and you have an angry thought. Well, they do come. You have an angry thought. Well, that angry thought comes, and with it often comes this feeling of aversion. Oh, that shouldn't be there. You know, I really didn't come to this retreat in order to think about this person more. You know, or I really wish I wasn't thinking in this way. Well, what, what does that aversion do? It actually makes that thought more powerful. It makes it stronger. Now, what happens if you have the same angry thought and there's no aversion? Just an angry thought. Well, actually, the angry thought doesn't become stronger. It has no place to find a foothold in the mind, and it passes. With loving acceptance, the capacity to see things just as they are, we actually liberate all things to change. Think of that, you know, think of the analogy of the different seasons of nature. I mean, we often have our preferences. You know, some people like summer better than winter. 
you know, well, would it be a path of wisdom or freedom when winter was here, you know, to be shouting at the weather and say, no, you shouldn't be here. It should be hot. It should be sunny. It should be summer. It's nobody's fault. It is just as it is. It is just as it is. What we're actually beginning to see in meditation is that all things arise because of conditions. Okay? Well, sometimes in our past, we have had conditions that have shaped our minds in particular ways. Sometimes our minds have been shaped in particular ways where there's inclinations towards fear, or inclinations towards anger, or inclinations towards greed. They arise because of conditions. Now, what we are doing in meditation is that we are actually nurturing a different shape of the mind. We're not saying that that other shape is wrong or bad, but we are actually seeing the power that attention has, that loving-kindness has, that compassion has, to create different conditions, to change the shape of the mind. It is having the balance to see that things arise because of conditions. It's not an invitation to blame. It is an invitation to see things as they actually are. The other quality, which really leads very directly to finding a place of refuge and calm abiding, is to cultivate a mind of non-dwelling or non-stickiness. Suryadas, a friend of ours, calls it the Teflon mind. You know, you have those pans that are coated with stuff, nothing sticks in them. That's what we do in meditation. We make it. Cultivate the Teflon mind, the mind of non-stickiness. We are learning to let go all the time in our meditation. Every time we return to the breath, return to the moment, we are learning to let go. We are learning to take hold of nothing and to cultivate non-stickiness. When there is non-stickiness, it really doesn't matter that there are thoughts. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter that there are different events and different feelings that arise. None of these are actually obstacles at all. The moment that the times that we treat them as enemies or treat them as obstacles, is because of stickiness. You know, because we stick to them by taking hold with either aversion or wanting, they stick to us. It's that simple. By learning to find a place, learning the skills of letting go, the skills of being with, nothing sticks. Doesn't matter that we, doesn't mean that we don't feel or that there's a lessening of sensitivity. But there, there is a lessening of grasping and holding and resistance. Learning to cultivate the mind that dwells nowhere. That is the mind that is present everywhere. The meditation is actually learning to touch all things with calmness. Calming within ourselves, everything calms around us. And learning to touch with all things with calmness is what our practice is actually all about. Coming back again and again to a place of balance. 
not thinking about results, not thinking about completions, not thinking about getting, not thinking about getting rid of, but concerning ourselves only just with being with, being simply present. And there we find a refuge, a true refuge of calmness and balance. We have a couple of moments quietly together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.